If you've been going here, oh, sorry, you can be seated. If you've been going here for a while, you know that um, what we teach is, is that it's, it's unhealthy for people to hear from only one person preaching, that nobody can be interesting more than about 36 weeks a year, and nobody should probably try. Um, and that as we grow as a church, it's important to build, build into leaders. Otherwise, at a point, you just kind of collapse into shallowness. Without, you know, you can have a point leader, and then you've got a whole church, and you need all kinds of leaders between those two. Um, and so building into leaders and building into future leaders. And if everybody's on staff and our, on our elder board knows that High Point Church also, um, within our staff teaching, we consider High Point Church a teaching church. Model kind of after a teaching hospital. We want to take some, some people who God is doing a work in their life and to bring them in so they can learn and try stuff and fail and succeed and do ministry because if God does something amazing among our young people and then we don't give them a chance to do anything in the local church, what do you think is going to happen? It's just going to create something terribly unhealthy for everyone. So because of that, um, we have periodic guest speakers and we have internship programs and so on. So there's a couple things I want to tell you. One, before I introduce our guest speaker, I want to introduce the people sitting next to him. So Vince is right here, but right next to them is Ryan Rogers and Margaret Rogers. Um, they're really important to me for a couple reasons. Ryan was one of my first interns when I was first starting to have interns. And he's got all kinds of funny stories from it. Um, but um, his family showed my family tremendous kindness when we were ministering in Panama City and it made our time there um, wonderful. Um, and he comes from a great family and he is not wasting the benefit of that. And um, so um, we love Ryan and you give hell hell and we'll leave the land on for you. Um, we love you guys. Um, our guest speaker for this morning is um, Vince Pieri. I met him in like I don't know, 2001 or something, when he was in the youth group I was pastoring at the time, and um, he was leading worship there, and so on, and we tried to keep him in line, mostly in vain. Um, but he is, um, he, uh, he's been actually been friends at Trinity with most of the people who have served here as interns and then gone to Trinity. You know, he knows Adam and Chris and some of these guys, and he's going to be finishing up this May, and I am full court pressing, trying to get him to be our first pastoral fellow. So when he's done preaching, no matter how bad it is, you tell him we loved it, it was fat, we could learn so much, and that we so want him to come here to Wisconsin, and this is a great church to learn in, and Nick is so great, you can't even imagine how much you could learn from him, and just pray that Jesus would forgive you for that later, okay? <laughs> so I'm just kidding. Anyway, um, Vince is finishing up his MDiv, which is the degree I did for training at Trinity, the same school I went to, and so it was great. And um, so because we had the split Sunday and we were inviting people to speak, I thought it would great, be great for you get, to get a chance to hear from him, whether he comes here to serve or serves somewhere else. So um, Vince, why don't you come and share with us while I get my fourth born here. Okay. Hey, thanks, Nick. Am I off? Oh, we're good. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you all. Thank you so much for having me. It is a crazy kind of full circle thing being here at Nick's church. He has accomplished way more than we expected he would. Just kidding. <laughs> 
That is not that is not true at all. Nick has always been an incredible guy, an incredible leader. I learned a lot from him. One of my uh, most defined memories of Nick is he actually played in the band with me. And one time we were up there and he uh, forgot to put his capo on, which if you're a musician just means he we are no longer able to play. He is not able to play with the band because his guitar is not set up right. So he just stopped playing. And I was like 14 and I, that was when I realized I could play guitar well because I was like, this still sounds okay, I think. They didn't let me play plug in before that. So thank you for that. You've always been pushing me into leadership uh, that I didn't know I was ready for. So thank you. Uh, Yeah. So we are coming up to the time of New Year's resolutions and New Year's resolutions are always a little bit frustrating for me and kind of depressing for me in a few ways. One is that our culture only sets aside one day a year where they say, take inventory of your life. If you want to have a life of purpose and meaning and fulfillment, or even if you just want to make a lot of money, like whatever kind of life you want, take this time, set it aside, and think what's standing in between me and that life. And people sit down, and they scratch their heads, and they're thinking hard, and they're like, I think if I could change anything... If I could lose 10 pounds this year, that would be the thing that made my life have purpose and meaning. And I'm like, that's the best we can do? I mean, that's actually the number one New Year's resolution. As Christians, we have an opportunity to do New Year's resolutions a whole lot better because we have insight into how we were created and what we're created for. The New Testament talks about something called the kingdom of heaven, which is God's rule on earth and us giving ourselves over to God and living in harmony with God in our actions and also trusting in him for the forgiveness that we all need. It's living in harmony with other people and experiencing the peace and the joy that that brings. And it's also living a life of purpose and meaning and knowing that we are becoming a part of God's redemptive plan in the world. So all of us know that's what we would love to experience more of in 2015. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you can hopefully be enticed by wanting to become part of that. But we've got it even easier because the Bible tells us Hey, if you want these things, here are the things standing in the way of you and that life. And they spell it out. I want to read one verse to you. Oh, it's up on the screen. That's great. Uh, This is part of the passage that we're going to be looking at today. And Paul says, hey, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Meaning the things standing in between you and the kingdom of heaven and the life that God wants for you. These things are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we know These are the things that stand in the way. And as I read through that list, some of you, right away, you saw yourself in that list. You saw the thing that you know, if this was the year that you could break that pattern, break that cycle, break that addiction, whatever it is, this would be a year when you experienced a bigger uh, chunk of the kingdom of heaven than you've ever experienced before. Some of you, maybe when I read it, you're like, well, you know, it's been a while since I had an orgy, 
and uh, I'm not quite sure where I fit in this list, but, but look at the things that are on here. Selfish ambition, envy. You know, these are things that Paul puts in that exact same category, the internal things, the things like selfish ambition that our culture praises and says, hey, you, you need as much of this as you can get because it's all about you and it's all about what you can accomplish. Can you imagine if this was the year that you were free of selfish ambition and you could be content in whatever you're accomplishing and whatever you're not accomplishing? What if this was the year that you were free of envy and you didn't feel like you had to get what someone else had or live up to what someone else has. So when it comes to New Year's resolutions, in a big way, it's a lot easier for us. Here's where we struggle, though. It's typically not, what should I change? It's typically not, what would make my life better? The question for us is, how do we do it? How do we really make these changes? Because if you've been down the Christian walk at all, if you've lived as a Christian for any amount of time, we know that these things are extremely difficult to change. And they're not things that when we confront them head on, we make a whole lot of progress with. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And if you're here wanting to make a change, this will probably be pretty interesting. If you're pretty content with your life, you're going to be kind of bored because you're going to be like, well, I don't really, not interested in changing, but I'm praying that God will bring something to mind that if you picture your life being free of it, you will, you will want to experience that. I want to say before we go any further to that, because the Holy Spirit lives in us, a lot of the change that is brought in our life is a work of God and not our work at all. And if you have been changed by God in your past, you can remember that a lot of times it feels like God just picks you up, puts you in another direction, and you just start moving. And you look back and you think, I was almost completely passive in that whole experience. But the Bible also makes it clear that there is a role that we play day in and day out, what I've heard Nick call cardio-Christianity, of, of continuing to walk down that path, continuing to break off the things and the sin struggles that hold us back. So that's what we're going to be talking about today is, is how do we do that? And I'm not going to hopefully give you just my ideas. Hopefully what I'm going to tell you is right out of this passage. So to that end, will you pray with me? And then we're going to continue on. God, we do ask that you would give us a vision of our lives that is so enticing, of a different way of living that something inside us longs to experience and has felt out of reach because we've worked at it and we've failed time and time again. God, you are a God of change. You are a God of growth. You are not a God that wants us to just sit contentedly in our lack of sanctification. God, you want us to move and become more like your son, Jesus. So God, give us the faith that you can help us to do that today. In your name, everyone said, amen, amen. So when, when we come face to face with, with these sin struggles, with these vices, whatever, whatever it is, there's typically... A gut level instinctual approach that I'm going to call the just stop approach. This is what many people in churches have told us. This is what our parents might have told us. Our friends tell us. 
the broader secular culture tells us, hey, if you're struggling with drinking, you need to stop drinking. If you've got an alcohol problem, you got to stop drinking. If you've got a problem with lust, you need to work on that thing. If you've got a problem with being obsessed with your own career, you need to spend, you know, you need to stop working so many hours. And, and we try that. We've all tried that. And oftentimes that starts to feel like uh, trying to balance on a bicycle that's not moving. If you think about falling into that vice, if you think about avoiding that thing that you are trying to break out of your life, it feels a lot like, remember the first time you got on a bike when you were a little kid? And you were like, there is no way I'm going to be able to ever balance this thing. Because you sit up there, then as soon as you move at all, you go one way or the other. And that's what it feels like a lot of times when we're trying to overcome whatever vice it is. The more that we try to balance, the more that we try to avoid falling, we always end up falling back into it again. Oftentimes, this creates a downward spiral. You know, you're, you're struggling against anger. And so you say, I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to get mad. And then something triggers you, and you fall right over. But now you've got all the anger from whatever situation triggered you. You've also got all the anger of being frustrated at yourself for falling. It's the same with alcohol. It's the same with lust. It's the same with pride, whatever it is. This often produces a downward spiral. If you've been a Christian a while, you may have realized that this strategy is not the best strategy, and this is not the strategy that Paul gives us. Look at Galatians 5.16. This is where Paul lays out the foundation for what we're going to be talking about today. He says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let's read that one more time. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's funny because the sentence is so clear, but you can read that and walk away and completely miss what it's trying to say. Because at first glance, it seems like he's saying, okay, you got to walk by the Spirit, and you have to not gratify the desires of the flesh. Like you have two tasks in front of you. Walk by the Spirit, don't gratify the desires of the flesh. And we're not sure how to prioritize them, we're not sure how to think about them. But if you look after that and, there's no imperative verb. There's no walk by the Spirit and do something else. Walk by the Spirit and this is going to happen. It's going to happen as a natural byproduct. If you become focused on walking by the Spirit, this other thing, no longer gratifying the desires of the flesh, will be a natural byproduct of that thing. It's the same way a bicycle works. When you first started pedaling and you first started moving, you realized, wait, now it's almost hard to fall over. And you can go up a hill, you can go down a hill, you can take a sharp turn, you can hit a stick, and all the while, as long as the bike continues to move forward, you're going to be okay. And Paul says that's the same way overcoming these vices works. As long as you can keep moving forward, it's going to be much easier to keep yourself from falling. And these things that are so difficult to overcome now are, are going to be less attractive at the time. For some of you, especially maybe some of you kids are in here who are doing such a great job listening. Thank you so much for that. For some of you, that might be a new concept that you have always tried to just fight things head on and it hasn't worked and you're like, okay, this is helpful. 
Others of you might say, yeah, I've heard this many times. You know, people say, don't focus on the sin. Focus on your relationship with God, and that thing is going to fix itself. Focus on growing closer to God. All these phrases that we say that sound really good and sound like a better option, we don't know what they mean half the time. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Do you have a concrete answer right away that you're like, I know what that is, I know how to do it, and that is what I'm working towards each and every day? I don't think most of us do, but Paul doesn't leave this as an abstract thing. He doesn't leave us to fill in the blank and just make something up. He goes on to flesh out what that means. Look what he says next. Verse 17. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so you are not to do whatever you want. Does that make sense, right? Instead of giving in to the desires of our flesh, we give in to the desires that the spirit has for us. Now, before we go any further, that's kind of a big deal. Because our flesh is strong and it pulls us this way and then there's this mindset that we can easily get into that there's this good side of us that we could call the spirit that pulls us towards good things. But this spirit is not our spirit. This is not like a yin and yang thing. The spirit is the Holy Spirit, member of the Trinity, a conscious being, a divine being who has desires just like all of us. There's things that the Holy Spirit wants just like there's things that we want. And some of the Holy Spirit's desires are for us, things that he wants for us and things that he wants us to do. So right away, this is a little bit of a shift away from a code of things you're trying to live by to what does this conscious person want from me? But if we stopped here, it's still very easy to run into problems because we can make any kind of assumption we want about what the, what the Holy Spirit desires for us. When we think, okay, my, my flesh desires all these things that are bad for me, that the Bible doesn't want me to do. The Spirit desires what is contrary to that, so that must mean the Spirit wants me to say no to these things. And you've heard people say this, you know, you gotta say no in the power of the Spirit. So we say, okay, I have to give in to the Spirit's desire to say no to these things. That puts you right back on that bike that's not moving because you have truncated and reduced and minimized the Spirit's entire desire for your life to just this one little thing of being able to say no to temptation. The Spirit does want us to be able to say no to temptation. Self-control is part of the fruit of the Spirit. But when we make a one-to-one correlation and say, the Holy Spirit wants me to say no, and that becomes the thing we focus on, we are right back to square one. The other assumption we often make is that the Holy Spirit wants me to read the Bible more and pray more. And that I have heard my whole life. And that is in many ways one of the most destructive thoughts that you can have when you have it on its own. 
When you say, okay, I've got this whole sin nature. It wants all these things that are really bad for me. I know the Spirit has a different desire for me, and that desire is for me to read the Bible more and pray more. And that's what you equate with walking by the Spirit. It will ruin your life because it's the same problem that you have changed what the Spirit desires for you into this one tiny little thing. This passage doesn't even talk about reading the Bible or praying when it lists, here's what the Spirit desires for you, which is where we're going to go in a second. It's not even included in that thing. Now, same way, you can't walk the Christian life for long without being in the Word and praying. These things are so important, and I don't want anyone to hear, well, I guess I don't have to do that anymore. That's not what this is about. You do need to do those things, but that is not the totality of what the Spirit desires. It's not even the majority of what the Spirit desires. But Paul, thankfully, does spell it out. Let's keep looking. Verse 19 to 21, this is what we've already read, so we're not going to read all this, but he says the acts of the flesh are obvious, and he lists the contrast to what he's about to say. This is the contrary thing. Here's what your flesh desires. Here's the contrary thing, and he goes on to say this. 522, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, or forbearance, depending on which translation you have. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Lastly, at the end, the thing we're all after to begin with, self-control. It's in there, but there's a whole lot of other things in there. Against such things, there is no law. This is it. This is the thing that keeps the bike moving. This is the thing, this way of life is the thing that actually makes sin less attractive and makes walking with God something that you start to crave and something you start to long for because these are the things that you were designed to experience anyways. Now this is not an unfamiliar passage. You've heard this before. And some of you, when that came up on the screen, you're like, that's it? You're telling me if I want to overcome these things that I've struggled with my whole life, all I need to do is become more loving and more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, all these things. And some of you, even though you wouldn't admit it, probably, you would say, well, I'm already those things. I'm already a loving person. I'm already a kind person. I'm already a patient person, but I still have these things that I'm dealing with. So I understand that's what the passage is saying, but that doesn't resonate with me. That is a dangerous place to be in. Because you have now capped what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. And you've said, I'm content for my life to look relatively similar to the other Christian people around me. And as, as long as I'm as loving or maybe even a little more loving than average, then I should be fine. That should be all I need to do. If there is a, a, a sin struggle, a vice, a mindset that you're trying to overcome, this is 
part of why you can't overcome it because you have gotten in the habit of saying no to growing in these areas. And the Holy Spirit wants to do a whole lot more. As loving as you are, He wants to make you a whole lot more loving and a whole lot more kind and a whole lot more peaceful to the point that those things no longer seem attractive. I think others of us, though, we see that and we go, yeah, that's not me. And that makes some sense. If I really was full of peace, if I really was full of love, if I really was full of joy, yeah, I could see that this struggle I'm having wouldn't be as attractive. I wouldn't feel the need to self-medicate. I wouldn't feel the need to perform at whatever level. I wouldn't feel the need for these things if I really was full of these things. But how do I, how do I get them? Because I, if I want them, and the Holy Spirit wants them for me, and they're going to help me to overcome this thing, why hasn't this already happened? And this can be its own faith crisis here. Why can't I get these things that the Holy Spirit is supposed to produce in me? I want to offer uh, a couple thoughts that might be helpful in trying to think, why haven't I developed these things more? Look back one verse to uh, 19 through 21. Paul says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And then he says the whole list. Then in the next verse he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and then he launches into it. It's interesting that he doesn't say that word obvious at the beginning of the next list. And I don't know if Paul is really trying to say, hey, all these sin struggles are really obvious. The fruit of the Spirit are not obvious. But isn't it true that when you start to struggle with whatever it is, there's some alarm bells that go off in your head? And you get called out on it. And you get held accountable. If you get in a fight with your spouse, there's something that's going to be off inside you and in your relationship until you fix it. But there's no alarm bell that goes off when you stop laying down your life for your spouse as Christ did for the church. You can live that way forever without anyone calling you out. You can live without gra uh, radically growing in these areas, these fruit of the Spirit, and you will never get called out for it. You will never, uh, you may never feel any conviction about it. I think that's a big part of it is that they're just not as obvious and we're not held to account in as, as clear ways. In the same way, they're not quantifiable. You can say, I lost my temper three times last week. You can say, I looked at pornography three times last week. Next week, I got to make it two. Next week, I got to make it one. It's really easy to just focus on these things. It's really hard to say, yeah, I was three patient last week. And next week, I need to be four patient. Next week, I need to be five patient. We like to win. You know, we like to say, yeah, this is getting better. This is changing. These virtues are not things that you can quantify and, and, uh, you know, set benchmarks for yourself of what you're trying to achieve. I think that's half the reason, is that we don't do a good job keeping it in front of ourselves, we don't do a good job pushing each other towards it, and we don't know how to do it. But if we can learn ways to do it, and we're going to try and talk about some practical ways, if we can learn to keep these things in front of ourselves... If we can learn to have our focus not be this thing we're trying to overcome, but to have our focus be, how can I become more loving? How can I become more joyful? How can I become more peaceful? If we can 
learn to put that in front of us. Here's why this works. Because the desire for these things and the experience of these things is a self-sustaining desire. It's a self-feeding desire, meaning the more you get of peace, the more you want peace. The more you get of joy, the more you want joy. Down every single one of these on the list. You have a desire right now to be free of your sin. And it pulls you away for a little bit and then you fall back into it. This desire to be free of your sin will never be strong enough for you to actually leave it behind. It can be extremely strong. But by itself, that desire to be free of sin on its own will never be enough for you to leave it behind. The desire for these things, that will be enough for you to leave it behind. Because these are the things that you're created to experience anyways. These are the things that we long for. We long to be full of peace and joy and all these things. So if we can find a way to keep it in front of us, to keep moving toward it, to keep moving toward them, this will work. It will be the thing that makes a difference. It produces a paradigm shift where you realize God doesn't just care about me overcoming sin. He doesn't just care about me saying no to these things. He cares about my insides. He cares about me being fulfilled and having purpose and meaning and fullness and everything on this list that we, that we all long for. So how do we do it? I wish that there were some more strategies that Paul gives us, but he just kind of pushes us in a direction and says, figure it out on your own. This is how he concludes. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, next verse, uh, 524, yep, thank you. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's this idea of keeping in step that we're going to conclude with. What does that look like to keep in step? The idea behind this is the, the idea of being led. You're not following a map. You're not following a list of rules that, or a, a list of disciplines that you say, if I can add this to my week, then I'm going to be pursuing the fruit of the Spirit. Being led is a relational term. It's a guide term that the Holy Spirit is our guide. And whatever pace he sets is the pace that we try and ride the bike. He's on a bike in front of us, and we're riding behind him. I don't really know if the Holy Spirit rides a bike. Probably not. But you get the idea. The Holy Spirit sets the agenda. He says, here's a step for you to take, and you have to step into it. Here's another step for you to take, and you have to step into it. And I'm going to share some stories about some people that I've seen this kind of work for them, and some people that I've seen this not work. Uh, they haven't been able to kind of step into this process, but here's just a few thoughts of how to, how to make sure you're keeping in step. First thing is that you have to look for opportunities. You have to look for times that the Holy Spirit is going to say, hey, come do this. And they're going to feel unnecessary because we feel a necessity to break sinful patterns. We don't feel a necessity to, to add these things. They're going to feel like situations that are either too big and too hard or too mundane and won't really do anything. But we have to look for ways the Holy Spirit is saying, come and step into these things. And then we have to recognize that these steps may have nothing to do with the struggle we're in. 
go back to the fruit of the spirit passage, the uh, 22. The, it does not say the fruit of the spirit are these things. It is. Fruit is a singular noun. In English, it can be singular or plural, but in the Greek, it is a plural noun here. And the, the point of that is that this is one thing. These are not separate things that can be cultivated on their own. They're all connected together. So yeah, maybe you're struggling with self-control. But the Holy Spirit may bring an opportunity for you to grow in kindness. And you're like, that's got nothing to do with it. But as you develop kindness, kindness brings you a sense of peace because you realize that you are doing something valuable with your life. And peace makes self-control easier because your insides are stable and calm. All of these things work together. So when you're looking for what step does the Holy Spirit want you to take, you have to be willing to look and be ready for opportunities that seem like they have nothing to do with the struggle that you're in. And then lastly, you have to, be, you have to say an unqualified yes every time. An unqualified yes. Not when you tell me why I have to do this, not when uh, it makes sense, not when it's easy, not when I have time, when you know that the Holy Spirit is calling you to do something, you do it. Unqualified yes, every time, without delay. As we get in the habit of saying that yes, we develop these things. And you'll know when you have to take a step. It might just be a gut feeling you're like, I know that's what I'm supposed to do. If you're paying attention, you'll start getting some gut feelings. Or it might be when you're reading the Bible and you read a passage and you're like, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. Or maybe someone taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, I think this might be something that God is calling you to do. Or maybe your, your spouse says, I, you know, I think this is something that you need to do. If you're looking for ways you can take steps into the fruit of the Spirit, you will not have a hard time finding them. I want to close just by sharing a few stories really quickly of some people that have uh, kind of engaged or failed to engage in this process. I'll start with a, a negative example. This is a friend of mine that I'll call Betty. And she uh, has a long history of alcohol addiction and um, you know sexual sin. And she's a Christian. And she has worked so hard I'm trying to be free of these things. She's gone to counseling. She set boundaries for herself. I'm not going to go out on the weekend. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to delete these numbers from my phone. Blah, 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 blah. Never works. Always back into it. All the time. We've been friends since we were little kids. So she tells me about some of this. And uh, sometimes I'm like, Betty, have you thought about the fact that you have this broken relationship with your parents? That maybe God is calling you to demonstrate love to them and kindness to them and patience to them. They're not perfect, but have you thought about cultivating some of these fruit of the Spirit in this relationship? And she's like, I'm not interested in that. I've got this thing I'm trying to overcome. I'll save that for later. I don't think her life is going to change until she is willing to deal with some of that. I'm like, Betty, do you know that you don't have any close Christian girlfriends in your life? to talk to about this stuff. And she's like, I, I don't like other Christian people. They're nerdy and they're lame and I don't want to spend time with them. And I, meanwhile, I have all this stuff I'm trying to deal with. I don't have time for that. And I'm like, 
Betty, I don't think this is going to change until you are willing to take these steps that I think the Holy Spirit wants her to take. I've got another friend uh, named Jerry. That's not his actual name, but we'll call him Jerry. And he, uh, you know, dealing with the struggle of pornography, he's married and uh, it's caused all sorts of problems in their marriage. And he's had different levels of success and failure. But uh, the time that he found it was easiest to say no was when his wife was doing a community theater play and she had to leave every night in the middle of dinner. And he was left with the choice every night of whether to do the dishes or whether to leave them for when she got home. And, you know, to be fair, she's doing something that's fun for her. So he could easily say, you know, we'll split it 50-50 or whatever. But he said, no, I'm going to do the dishes every night. And he said during all those rehearsals, it was like the temptation was gone. Because he was doing not a huge thing, but an out of the ordinary expression of love and kindness to his wife. And he became a little bit different kind of a person through that process. I've got a friend named Hank. Long history also of sexual addiction. Uh, You know, uh, I'm in my 20s, so all the people I do ministry to are all dealing with all the same things. So don't read too much into that. You know, this is something that works for whatever the struggle is. But everyone I'm ministering to is all just drinking and having sex. So anyways... (laughs) Same thing. Hank's a Christian trying to overcome this thing. Convicted about his sin, but just keeps falling back into it over and over and over again. But then through some people and through reading the Bible and through just a gut level feeling, he's like, I think I'm supposed to start going to church. I really don't want to. I really don't like church. Church people are fake. Blah, 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 blah. But eventually he says that unqualified yes. And he starts going to church. Meanwhile, still dealing with the struggle. Then the Holy Spirit says, hey, I want you to join a small group. And he's like, I don't want to join a small group. Why would I want to sit in a circle with all these people and talk about my life and hear them talk about their boring lives, blah, 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 blah. But he says yes. He says the yes to that. And then the Holy Spirit says, I want you to start bringing your non-Christian friends from where you work to the small group. And he's like, that is crazy. And I, I, I'm still dealing with this thing over here. I'm not even good enough. I'm not even a good enough Christian to be an evangelist bringing people to church. But the Holy Spirit says, this is your step. This is what you've got to do. And so he says, all right, fine. I'll do it. And he starts bringing people. And then they actually start coming. And now... A couple years later, he's a completely different person. And he never really came up with a good strategy to overcome this sexual thing, but he became the kind of person who is no longer as enticed by that, who doesn't desire that as much because he now cares about different things and he wants different things and he's fueled by different things and his heart is moved by different things. So what is it for you? What's the thing that the Holy Spirit might be calling you to do? What is the thing that you can say an unqualified yes to? What is the kind of person that the Holy Spirit wants you to become this year? It's not just the person who says no to these things. That's part of it. But there's a whole lot of other things that he wants to do in your life. He wants to make you into a different kind of person that's defined by this. Defined by the fruit of the Spirit. And the best part about that is it's what we need anyways. So I would just encourage you this week, talk to some people. Talk about it in your small group. Pray about it. Read the Bible. Say, God, what is, what is the step I need to take? If you want to get really extreme, 
you can write out that fruit of the spirit passage. Love, joy, peace, and put, if you're, like for me, I would say, Vince is full of love. True or false? Vince is full of peace. True or false? Vince is full of joy. True or false? And see which ones kind of stick out as something that you can maybe take a step doing. Can you imagine if High Point Church was full of people who were all saying an unqualified yes? If High Point Church was full of people who were not focused on how can I deal with these struggles that I have, but completely focused on how can I... How can we become the kind of people who are always saying yes to radical acts of love and joy and peace and kindness wherever God has put us in our communities? That would change your church. That would change this community. That would change your life. And that is what God wants for each and every one of us. Let's pray. God, I thank you that your desires for us are so much bigger than just ending a sin struggle. God, we want to end those, and you want us to end those, but your desire for us is so much bigger. God, help us not to minimize the act of following you to just just beating whatever it is that we're struggling with. God, give us a picture of ourselves as different people, full of these fruit of the Spirit. God, we long for that. We know that makes us into the kind of people who change the world. God, give us the courage to seek after you. And would you be glorified in our lives. In your name, amen.